Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Welcome to Piers Morgan Uncensored. Coming up on tonight's programme... Sunak is back, if at first you don't succeed, but can Rishi right the wrongs, unite the Tory party and save the country? He flew in, but his leadership campaign failed to take off. Is this Boris Johnson's final bumpy landing? And heavy is the head that writes the crown. Netflix hit drama branded sadistic and wicked for recreating Princess Diana's final hours. Have they gone too far? Live from London, this is Piers Morgan Uncensored with Nadine Doris and Emily Sheffield. Good evening from London. I'm Nadine Doris, sitting in for Piers for a couple of days alongside Emily Sheffield. Piers, enjoy your sunshine in LA. Nadine and I have got this one. What a weekend it's been. The grown-ups are finally back in charge. Playtime is over and not a moment too soon. The nation can finally bin that Valium prescription now that it is Rishi Sunak who will become the UK's 57th Prime Minister. What do we need from a PM? Well, someone who isn't a narcissistic nightmare would be a good start. But the big priority right now is for a leader to sort out our nation's finances and reassure global markets that Britain can pay its bills. Rishi understands in life you can't get something for nothing. At a time when the country is crying out for fiscal responsibility, our new Prime Minister is already proving that he is the embodiment of that. As Chancellor and in running for the leader this summer, he showed he was willing to tell us the hard truths we all have to swallow. In addition, his prophetic warnings about what would occur if Liz Truss took power flaunting her magic money tree came to pass with horrendous consequences for us all. Whereas Boris seemed to struggle telling the truth about goings-on in the past, Rishi will tell you, he says, what is going to happen in the future. For the last year, the Tories have focused on their own psychodrama. As good as Rishi Sunak may be, our problems remain huge. Can he unify a party that has spent more time fighting each other than the opposition? Can he get us through a prolonged recession, delivering compassionate conservatism amongst brutal cuts? It's now time for some stability. It's time for Rishi. It's time for our politicians to focus on you, not themselves. It is clearly now the will of the Parliamentary Conservative Party that there should be a new leader. Rishi Sunak, please, interest rates go up. Rishi Sunak, please let Liz Truss answer. I don't accept those points. Liz Truss is elected as the leader of the Conservative and Unionist Party. I'm not going to cut the additional rate of tax today, Mr Speaker. I'm going to abolish it altogether. How many people voted for your plan? What do you mean by that? Mr Speaker, I'm genuinely unclear. But it is clear that parts of our mini-budget went further and faster than markets were expecting. Uh... I am a fighter and not a quitter. 
I cannot deliver the mandate on which I was elected. Rishi Sunak is therefore elected as leader of the Conservative Party. Joining us in the studio this evening, political sketchwriter Quentin Letts, Talk TV contributor Ava Santina, and the Daily Mirror's associate editor Kevin Maguire. Now, we've just watched that little video, and I can tell you that most of us sitting around this table and much of you watching probably feel like you've had whiplash for the last few months. <laughs> but Nadine... Nadine has had a ringside seat to all the craziness, not just of the last few days, but of the last many months. Nadine? I... First, I want to take you back, because I think what's foremost in all our minds is, is, is what the hell happened the last three days? Now, I know from our chats backstage that you were one of the first people to ring Boris on Thursday after Liz Truss resigned, and you had some resignations about him coming back into the fight. Can you, can you just talk us through that first call with him? So, um, he didn't have reservations, but I think there were a very small group around him... Um, people who were concerned about him and Carrie and the children and the family, and who... We had our reservations about whether it was the right thing to do. We felt so soon after when what had happened. When you say our, was this just a few of you that are yeah, very close Yeah, a very, to very few. Are you able to no, talk to us about no, who those no, few no, are? No. But no. you were one of the first on the phone to him, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And he's on the Sun Lounger at this point? <laughs> I don't know if he was on the Sun Lounger, <laughs> I didn't ask. But he was... Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a very fast-moving... Um, situation. situation. It was... We didn't expect it to happen as quickly as it did, mm. and um, it was a bit of a shock. That one thirty announcement, I think it was, from Liz, that she was standing down. So things moved very fast, and he was he was up for it. He um, got on the flight home, and he was ready to go. So what... Would, if, given that you had some reservations, when he said, no, Nadine, I want to do this, what were his reasons to you? So... You know, we're facing... We are in a very difficult situation at the moment. The one thing we do know about Boris is he is a winner. And it's less than three years ago he won an 80-seat majority. And is that what with he the was biggest is vote that what share he was saying since to you? in a generation. I think he feels that the party is in a factional and perilous state and that it needed someone who... Those, those MPs in the red wall seats could see would win their seats and keep them their, their, their seats in the future and who could bring the party together and who had the ability... You know, he has a unique mandate. He was the person who was elected by the people well, the at the ballot party, box. The Conservative Party Well, actually, Emily, you might say that, you know, but there are people in red wall seats, like Redcar and other places, who have voted Labour all of their lives, and they would rather have their toenails removed one by one without anaesthetic before they would say they voted Conservative. What they say is, we voted for Boris. Well, now, now, I've heard different, we do actually, have a even party. from Jake Berry, but we, we're, we, not, we're not going to argue that. We do have a party system. Well, you know, I, I would just... was up against Corbyn. And, I would give and that a lot of Labour voters were, were absolutely horrified by Corbyn. I would take that back to you in as much as when I was Secretary of State in DCMS, I went around the northeast of England and spoke to a lot of people, and there was a very definite positive Boris vibe in those areas. You know, the MP for Grimsby, Leah Nicky, will tell you, he's, he's loved in her constituency. And I think he felt that in order to keep those red wall seats, that it was his duty and his responsibility as the only MP in the Conservative Party to have a mandate to lead the Conservative Can Party. Can I just ask you, though, after 57 Tory ministers resigned from his government and Cabinet, when you were having those initial discussions with him and those close around him, 
did this come up? Because would he be the, the one that was able to unify unify his MPs around him? Because you can't govern unless you do have the backing of your MPs. So that's a much bigger question, actually led into a different discussion. Mm. Um, that discussion was, you know, you could do this, but Rishi and Penny Mordaunt had to agree that the party needed to unify, so and that as he was the person who Why only... did he think they would go behind him? Because he was the only person who actually has a, as a mandate from the public. And a general election is the last thing the Conservative Party needs at the moment. And it's pretty obvious, and I think we're seeing it today already, that if we put another leader who didn't have a mandate from the public mm. to lead the Conservative Party and to become the third Prime Minister in 50-something days, then, then that would put Nadine, us in a very I, I difficult just, well, We're going to come back, because I, I think there's a lot more to talk about what happened this weekend. And, and obviously you did have a very... A lot of insight. You're, you're on the phone to Boris a lot of the time. But, Kevin, is that right about he's the only one who had a mandate? Yeah. He, he won in 2019. Brexit was his trump card. He never delivered it the way he promised it. Uh, he was up oh, against on, Jeremy yeah. Corbyn. But, nevertheless, he did win, and he won a very healthy majority for the Conservative <clears> Party. Liz Truss didn't. Wishy Sunak didn't. That's gone now. And I, I agree with Nadine. Uh, the case for a, a general election now, I think, is overwhelming. Now, constitutionally, parliamentary democracy doesn't mean there will be one, but I think if the new Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, wants any authority, legitimacy, credibility, they have to win a mandate. Just... And that is why, that's the main reason why Boris decided to stand, I believe, was because he does have that unique mm. political mandate that nobody else in the Conservative Party has. It's undeniable. Uh, you know, it was... I, 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 I think his but winning streak's lost... gone, though. I, th I think there, but, there was a Boris Johnson yeah. uh, 2019. He, he lost the support of the party. It's you, only you cannot just, continue It's only just over a year ago yeah. that we won the Hartlepool by-election yeah. with a landslide. But, of course, since then, you've had Partygate, everything else that came along with it, and you saw what happened in Tiverton, Honiton in North Shropshire, in Wakefield, in the Red Wall. All those by-elections were mm. lost heavily. Just I, as I just want to ask Quentin, you, 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 you're a sketch writer for The Times. They came out strongly for Rishi Sunak. Why, why do you think Boris didn't manage to regather the support of his party? I mean, there were plenty of people who probably in the Tory party had their head in their hands. So when you're on a day like this, can I just say, on a, on a day like this, when, back, when you spend time at Westminster on a day like this, you realise what a bunch of wrigglers and darty-eyed <laughs> lizards they all are. <laughs> and they are looking not just at the, the future of their seats. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a justifiable thing, they're party politicians. They're also thinking about their personal ambitions. Who can give me a job? You know, who's, mm. who's up? Who's down? That is the most driving uh, sort of melodrama at Westminster on a day like this. So it's a very peculiar place, the Palace of Westminster, because it's this just this crucible of ambitions. And uh, there's a lot of that going on. And a lot of the people who perhaps didn't want Boris to come back this time uh, in the among the MPs were people that he had not given jobs to or who might not have got jobs under him. I mean, Quentin, are it you really is... sure there aren't, you know, some people who were really worried about Partygate? Of course. Who were worried that... Well, course, chaos, there Rishi had been a lot of... Partygate. Boris got a lot of things right. He got Ukraine right. He got the vaccines right. But there is no denying at the time when his government... When his government... Emily, Emily, can I get a word in? him to can resign... Can I just get a word in? But there were problems. Can I just get a word in? Rishi was also working in the same buildings. What Boris Johnson knew about Partygate, Rishi knew. Rishi was fined as well. They were working in the same buildings day and night with the same people, breathing the same air, 
doing exactly the same thing. I don't think Why do you think Boris is more guilty at Partygate than Rishi is? I don't think and Boris... And can I, I just quote you? The party did think it was I'm a big sure deal. And proves. the polls were that he was minus 51 at the time. He was deeply unpopular. He was... He was... He, he had was, become it unpopular. Be, it ceased to be a winner. I do want... I do, because I think we could argue this out for hours, and I think we should concentrate on what's happened this weekend a bit. And I just want to take you back. He met up with... Um, he met up with Rishi Sunak and Penny Mordaunt, and mm -hmm. obviously those meetings didn't go to plan. Are you able to just... Because I'm sure you were talking to him. What was the... What was his pitch to them, I guess, when he went in there about why the old gang should reform? Because that's what we heard. That was what he was saying to them. Let's, let's get this back together. What do you think he said to Rishi, or was hoping to say to Rishi, that would make Rishi feel that they could work together cohesively? So, um... Just to, to correct you on something you said a moment ago, you said that Boris didn't get the support. I, I think we need to put this one to bed. He had 102 signatures. The support was there for him to go on the ballot today. It was his decision not to as a result of those conversations. And it brings me back it to my... It wasn't that Rishi had far more MPs at that point. No, that... All, he, all Boris because needed to get quite on... quite a large number at that All stage. Boris needed to get onto the ballot was the 100 signatures which he had. And we know, as the polling has very clearly shown us, so why, why he would he have won the vote. I mean, after all, Rishi came second it, to Liz Truss. Boris would very easily have won with the membership. But it's not just about winning with the membership. What George Osborne actually, in fact, pointed out on Sunday was that if you can't command your party and have the confidence of your MPs, you are not going to stay Prime Minister for very long. Isn't that part of the reason he pulled out? He knew he couldn't command his party anymore. Well, I think that unity as we, has been spoken a lot about today, and that was incredibly important. It is incredibly important. You know, unity, stability, growth, all those things that matter moving forward. And Boris went into those meetings with um, Rishi and Penny, hoping that they could reach an agreement that would unify the party on the basis that he was the only MP with a mandate from the public at the ballot box to be Prime mm. Minister. It's a very important point. It's one that's going to come back to haunt us day after day after day. You, you know, if we, if we add up the nominations, Penny Mordaunt claims, Boris Johnson claims, Rishi Sunak claims, yeah, but there's more. there are more nominations than there are Tory MPs. Yeah, <laughs> they, they can't all be telling the that, truth. That, actually, Kev, that's not true at all. What, uh, now, 90, 100 and 180? Eight, then we get to 370 and there's about 350 Tory MPs. But you're talking about different stages yeah. in the process. Mm. As you know. <laughs> does anyone here? Does anyone here think Rishi? Do you, Ava? Do you think Rishi's the man? Do you think he's the right man for the job at the moment? Well, I mean, Rishi said something interesting today in his speech, which was he was, he would bring honesty and integrity to the role, which I think we haven't seen in a couple of years. And we also know that, the, you know, the entire time, the entire administration that Boris Johnson would want to conduct over the next couple of months would be marred by this privileges committee that is going to be coming up and going to be right in our faces for the next few months. You know that Boris Johnson is going to be called up in front of this committee. It's going to be televised and we are going to publicly brand him a liar for a second time and he could be ousted by Christmas. I don't think that the country is stable enough to have someone like Boris Johnson in place. Rishi, who's not marred by those accusations, perhaps it's a safer bet. Well, he was fine and actually that Committee, which has not set its terms of reference, I'm sure very soon will expand those terms of reference to scoop in Rishi as well, because as I said, he was in the same building, breathing the same air, was also fine. Nadine, what was can, was I, can, I, can, I, can we just finish on one comments. very quick question? A yes or no? Are you, as a Tory MP, still a Tory MP, going to now back Rishi Sunak as MP and support him? 
Um, he's the leader of my party, he's Prime Minister of the country, of course. OK, brilliant. Next tonight, more from our panel and Adine's thoughts on the gleeful BBC presenter being taken off air after her reaction to Boris Johnson pulling out of the Tory leadership race. We're back in three. Welcome back to Piers Morgan Uncensored with me, Emily Sheffield, and Nadine Dorans. Still with us in the studio, Quentin Letts, Ava Santina and Kevin Maguire. But first, let's cross to Talk TV political editor Kate McCann. Kate, we now understand Rishi will become Prime Minister after meeting King Charles tomorrow morning. Yes, that's right, he will. Tomorrow is going to be quite a morning because Liz Truss will chair her final cabinet in the morning where we expect her most senior ministers will want to give her perhaps a present, maybe even a card to say thank you. It's been a very short time in office, but it is traditional for that to happen. And after that, around 10.15, we expect that the Prime Minister current, Liz Truss, will give a speech in Downing Street. After that, at around half past 11, Rishi Sunak will be the one standing in front of the lectern and giving his speech, setting out exactly what he intends to do during his time in Downing Street. And that will be, Nadine, a really crucial moment because we've heard wow. from Rishi Sunak already over the last couple of hours. He did a speech from Conservative Party headquarters, but I think it's fair to say yeah, okay. that some people yeah. have been disappointed by the tone of that speech. What and what they to want to hear from him all. is what he intends to do for the country, what he's going to do uh, during his time in office, and exactly what his priorities are. Because remember, we haven't really heard that debate during this leadership contest. We know where he stands economically, but we also know he has a huge challenge and a lot of Conservative MPs watching to see what his next move will be. So for him, that really will be a defining moment, I think, tomorrow morning. So, Kate, the party is divided at the moment. Do you think that Rishi's got enough time over two years to bring us back together, to unite and to win the next general election? And Nadine, I feel like I ought to be asking you that no, question, not the other way around. This is a very weird <laughs> position for me to be in. What, what's the it's mood very in weird for both of us, Kate. It's very weird for both of us. Look, I think the mood in Westminster today is generally relief, even for those who backed a different candidate during this election. They feel that at least something has been put to bed. But I think that will be temporary, because as I was just saying there, the economic challenges that face Rishi Sunak during his time in office, and particularly that moment on Monday on Halloween when we hear that medium-term fiscal plan, that will really define the tone, I think, for him. The big question, Nadine, is how he's going to bring a cabinet together that, as he says, will contain all of the talents. That will mean moving some people out and moving others in. Will he do enough to unite the party and to give people the feeling that he really is listening to every wing of the Conservative uh, Party in Westminster? But I actually think the bigger question, and Nadine, tell me if you think I'm right here, is about the membership, because I do believe that there is this growing gulf between the MPs in Westminster and the membership of the Conservative Party in the country. And I think tonight there will be many members who feel frustrated at the way this process has happened. They may in time get behind Rishi Sunak too if it looks like he could win the party in election. But, but you tell me, I mean, I feel like they, some of them at least, feel quite frustrated by how this process has played out. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There are a number of Facebook groups and various uh, social media groups, as well as emails coming in to MPs from members. I think one of them has got 45,000 members on who are very, very angry that they've been disenfranchised. I mean, what is the point of them being members of a political party if they have no say who's going to be the leader of the party 
and the Prime Minister moving forward. So, so you're absolutely right. I have heard that it's going to be um, Rishi Sunak's first public appearance, both to members and to, it's going to be PMQs on Wednesday. So we'll all be able to, to judge how he's going to do then. Thanks so much, Kate. Thank you. Joining us now from Westminster, Conservative MP and former Cabinet Minister George Eustace. Now, now, George, just for some of our viewers, you've served under Cameron, you've served under Theresa May, you served under uh, Boris Johnson, um, you uh, served as an MP with Liz Truss, but she did, in fact, sack you from um, her, your job. Given the psychodrama we've all had to um, endure, what makes you think Rishi Sunak um, can succeed? We're going through record numbers of prime ministers. Well, we are, and I know uh, to many of your you know, listeners and viewers, that'll seem quite extraordinary that the Conservative Party put in place a new leader and a prime minister you know, just a few weeks ago, and it hasn't worked out. You know, the truth is Liz Truss made uh, you know, some quite bold moves, but moves that in the end were very risky, and those risks came home to roost, and it was very hard for her to regain her footing after that. And you know, after a number of other missteps, you know, the party lost confidence in her quite quickly. And under our constitution, prime ministers, uh, they're not, it's not a presidential system. No individual prime minister has a mandate, as some people uh, talk of it. We have a, a parliamentary democracy, and um, prime ministers only exist while they have the confidence of Parliament in general and their own parliamentary party in particular, and she didn't have that. So I know it's remarkable, but it's necessary for us to go through this. And I actually think that Rishi Sunak has got, you know, the judgment and the temperament and the ability to deal with complex issues and detail to be able to rally the party behind him and make the kind of right decisions we need to to get through these difficult times. George, you were a, a Rishi Sunak supporter over the summer. I actually saw you during that, that period. And I, I think he definitely has the economic capabilities to run, run, run the country at the moment. But his speech today, a lot of questions um, sort of remain whether he's got the sort of political savvy, I suppose, to deal with this job and, and also the communication skills. We saw a speech today that was well, almost a bit of a car crash. It was robotic. There was a sort of ghastly pause at the end. Liz Truss was a terrible communicator. Is he going to be any better at communicating what Fee feels is right taking us up to not only having to put in some really fairly horrendous cuts at the moment and having to explain that to uh, a fairly doubtful nation, but also get us through a general election? Oh, I think he, he is a good communicator. And, you know, I saw him in all of those hustings over the summer. And there was something in him that actually reminded me a bit about David Cameron. You know, I've worked for three different prime ministers. They each had different strengths and different weaknesses. But, you know, the thing about David Cameron is when he went on to do an interview or do a speech, you never feared for him. You, you didn't think he was going to sort of uh, mess it up or say something uh, silly, and it generally didn't. If he was asked something left-field or unpredictable, he could manage it. And I see that in Rishi as well. And sadly, we haven't really had that in uh, some of the other uh, prime ministers and party leaders we've had in recent years. Rishi performed incredibly well, I think, in all of the hustings over the summer. The party had that uh, debate. And as for today, look, it's not a, a day when he can announce everything he's going to do. Obviously, he's made clear he wants cabinet government. He wants to get a cabinet in place, uh, use that cabinet properly, deliberate over things properly and make decisions correctly. And, you know, he has to be prime minister first and that will happen uh, now tomorrow. Then he has to appoint his cabinet and then he has to get cabinet buy-in uh, for the kind of uh, measures he wants now, to take George, forward. And that's exactly I, the right thing to do. Are you hoping for your old job back? 
Well, I think he's very clear, to be honest, that he's going to have to balance all wings of the party. And, um, you know, I had a, a reasonably good innings. I did nine years in DEFRA under three different prime ministers. Uh, would I uh, like to go back into government, if asked? Yes, of course, uh, I would. But, you know, all prime ministers have got a very difficult balancing act. They need to make sure that their cabinet represents all wings of the party. And there's an important reason for that. Uh, if you just pack your cabinet with people who are loyal and supportive to you, then you don't have people who understand your parliamentary party. No, so the reason you the your cabinet truth. must be broad. What do you say to Labour's Absolutely. charge? Absolutely. If, we, if we... a prime minister... Sorry, what, 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 what do you say Sorry, to Labour's on. charge? We need a general election. I don't accept that. Uh, we don't have a presidential system. Boris Johnson didn't get the mandate in 2019. It was as much about the message as the man. And the message that won the Conservatives the last general election was get Brexit done. Uh, Rishi Sunak was a Brexiteer. He campaigned for Brexit. He was part of the Cabinet that got Brexit done alongside Boris Johnson. And there's lots of other things in that 2019 manifesto. That's our mandate. It's what all of us were elected to do, and that's what we should deliver. George, thank you so much for joining us tonight. A BBC presenter has been taken off thank air you. after she admitted to being gleeful over news that Boris Johnson had pulled out of the leadership race. Let's take a look. Well, this is all very exciting, isn't it? Hello and welcome to our look ahead to what the papers will be bringing us tomorrow. Am I allowed to be this gleeful? Well, I am. And then what do we do after that? Nadine, what do you make of this? You, you tweeted about this earlier. So, in my previous role, I was Culture Secretary, and um, the BBC has a problem with impartiality. One they recognise because they've introduced a 10-point plan to deal with the lack of impartiality. I thought it was actually shocking because, you know, people perceive the bias in the BBC to be amongst uh, political reporters and political presenters, but this is somebody who wasn't even in the political um, grouping of people you'd normally expect they and have normally immediately have immediately pulled her off air, which is the right thing to do, no? So, it's just, um, it's a problem, you know, and it will, it will be a problem. Um, Tim Davey, who's the director general of the BBC, is, is something he's trying to grapple with every single but day. But I, I would have thought and Tim would have been pretty horrified. He would have been, uh, absolutely, he will have been horrified. And it horrified. does seem extraordinarily uh, unprofessional. Quentin, what, 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 what was, what was well, your view? Look, I'm saw? a right-wing sketch writer, and uh, it's not really for me to tick off other journos for showing bias, but if you are a Beeb presenter, it becomes tricky. It's tricky for the BBC. I feel a bit sorry for the woman, but um, I don't think it's really my... But, place you know, we, to tick off others about that. We had the Sorota review, the Dyson review. We've now got the impartiality plan from the BBC. Mm. There is a fundamental problem within the BBC, the, and they need to deal no, with it. They need to sort it out. We're acting like there's some sort of like corruption no. or a virus in there. I mean, it's just a woman who laughed a little bit too loud. And uh, frankly, if it's anything, it's embarrassing. But like, well, she, she didn't, didn't make laugh too loud. She, she made well, the comments that she was. But she didn't make the decision for Boris Johnson not to run. She had nothing to do with the political sway. But you know who does? No one's saying she did. Yes, no one's saying she The director general, Tim Davey of the BBC, was a Tory council candidate. The uh, chair of the BBC used to work for Rishi Sunak as a Tory donor. I've lost count of the number of BBC political journalists who went to work for the Conservatives in, in government, including uh, Gibb, Craig who's, on, Gibb, who's Craig on, the, on the board. And yet okay, the person we see I mean, most not, is Alistair Campbell on the BBC. May I just say, as somebody who is uh, on the left, it is not a hotbed of socialists, alas. Oh, I wish, it, I wish it was. Well, then, Kevin, yeah. why, no, 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 why no, no, no. then did we have the Dyson review, the Sorota review, uh, the impartiality yeah. plan? I'm why just trying to work out, by the way, what are they going to give Liz Truss for a present? 
Are they going to give her a box that's sort of half sucked after eights? I don't know. I don't know. Some Errol dance so she can blow herself through well, the door. When you've only been in power for 44 years, don't... I mean, days. Sorry, four days. days. Sorry. Oh, it feels like... 44 days. days. It feels <laughs> like 44 years. What we've gone through. What... Are all the normal processes just sort of out the window? I mean, the plastic she's, she's going to be giving her leaving speech tomorrow. She can't sum up like other prime ministers have. Oh, my years... It'll be uh, running the country, she can say, <laughs> well, I can sum up my 44 days crashing the economy. Yeah. What's she even going to say tomorrow? Sorry. I think it's, well, I don't think we are going to yeah. get any sorry. She's going to call for unity. That's what she'll do, because that's what we need right now. Do you think? Who's unity? The party. Oh, sorry, uh, the party. <laughs> the party does Perhaps need that was the maid. Uh, the, 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 the only unity is, one, you all hate each other, and two, none of you want a general election. Well, it's exactly oh, yeah. the same in the Labour Party, uh, Kevin, oh, no, thanks they, for pointing that out. They want a general election. Well, they do all hate each other. Coming up next, we turn our attention to Ukraine. Is Putin about to unleash a major escalation? We're live in Kiev with the latest. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Welcome back. Next tonight, is Vladimir Putin preparing to use a dirty bomb on Ukraine? President Zelensky said Russia could be planning an attack after weeks of airstrikes left millions of Ukrainians without power. Russia's defence minister rejected the claims and said Kiev had its own dirty bomb. Joining us now is Olga Rodenko, editor of the English-speaking Ukrainian newspaper The Kiev Independent. Olga, I saw you in the summer in London. What's life like in Kiev now? Hi, Emily. Uh, good to see you again, and thank you for having me. Well, it's been a time of a lot of anxiety for us in Kiev now because, as you you mentioned, the dirty bomb threat—that is the the newest of the uh, of several major escalation threats that Russia has been throwing at Ukraine in just under a week. There, are, there have been three major escalation threats, and one is the dirty bomb. Before that, we were talking about Russia's threat to blow up a major uh, dam in southern Ukraine that holds off a huge water reservoir and blowing up the dam, which flood a huge chunk of land and, and uh, potentially kill lots of people. And before that, that, we were talking about uh, a uh, potential new invasion from Belarus from north, which would threaten Kyiv. So it's one threat after another. And Guys, this, can we turn this, this dirty bomb threat, the latest one, is, is probably the scariest one. And... Um, at the same time, at the same time, Russia has been doing this um, exhaustion strategy because, as you said, there have been weeks of attacks on Ukraine's energy facilities. And as you said, Ukrainians, lots of us are left without power. I'm lucky to have power in my apartment tonight, but that means that probably um, I will not have it in the morning because there's a schedule of outages. And that's, that's our life now. And how often are you losing power? And also, when I was messaging you, you you've been in and out of bunkers and, and, and the drone attacks. I mean, what kind of effect has this had on, 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 on how people are feeling on a day-to-day on -day basis? I think, you know, just talking to everybody around me, everybody feels um, a lot of exhaustion because uh, I think 
just watching it on the news from outside of Ukraine, you can't really um, understand how uh, it is draining on your on your nerves um, and on your mental health. Just you know, living in this in this constant fear, especially in the past several weeks when. Russia has intensified attacks, and exactly one week ago, five people were killed in Kyiv when uh, one of those drones hit a residential building. And um, uh, uh, yes, uh, I was uh, I was actually. in and out of shelters. I, I believe, including yes, a, yes, yes. And, and how does yes, that kind of news? Was, she was six months pregnant. Yes, her husband and she and, and three other people in their building were killed in that attack. And um, you know, a, a civilian. Uh, five-story building in central Kiev, um, not any, nothing military inside. Um, so, but that's what Russia is doing now. And, and yes, we've been having daily air raid alerts and we're taking them very seriously now. That's why um, when we were texting earlier today, I was uh, in and out of a shelter. And uh, how, how do you think Ukraine can, can, can win this, win this war, Olga? I mean, you and I have, have been in touch for many, many months now. We're still here. We're, uh, you and I are very much of the opinion that Ukraine, it can't be ordered from elsewhere, from, from Europe or America, that Ukraine does a deal with Russia. But how do you see this ending then? Yes, absolutely not. Um, I think even those who have been thinking in the West that Ukraine could be pushed into some kind of a deal with Russia, into a compromise, sacrificing lands, I think uh, um, that view is... Um, you know, um, less and less prevalent because, I mean, just being here and talking to people and seeing the sheer resilience and the sheer, um, you know, the, the way people feel about Russia now and how every time an attack like this happens, every time, um, you know, a, a civilian family is killed in a brutal attack on a Ukrainian city, that adds to to the resilience and to you know being ready to fight to the end and i think you know um i'm not an analyst but i i firmly believe that the only way uh, to end this is a complete defeat of russia and it has to start with a military defeat and that's why of course okay. um, we need for our western partners including the uk to keep supporting us okay olga thank you so much um for coming on the show tonight in such difficult circumstances Thank you, Olga. Please stay safe. Thank you. Also with us is Ukrainian culture minister Alexander Chenko. How much longer should the West keep supporting Ukraine? Alexander, it's fantastic to see you again. The first time we met were the dark early days of the war and you were sat in a bunker trying to protect works of art which were stacked around you. How is it now and how is life in Ukraine right now for you? Uh, uh, we are fighting, and I can agree with my colleague from Kiev Independent that the only way how we can succeed this war is when Russia uh, will withdraw their troops from Ukraine. So, uh, according to uh, latest opinion polls, from 80 to 90 percent of Ukrainian citizens uh, agree with President Zelensky that there is no question about any sort of agreement, arrangement with Russia until they uh, uh, will do it. Uh, and if we speak and if we speak about latest attacks, uh, the main reflection of Ukrainians is uh, raising of their anger uh, against what Russians are doing uh, against civilians and civilians objects.
So, Alexander, in the summer, things seem to get a bit easier in Kyiv. Are, are you back in a more difficult situation now than you were then? Is it getting worse? No, Nadine, uh, I believe that uh, at the beginning it was... Uh, uh, the main reflection was uh, a sort of... Uh, probably uh, we didn't know what to do. But now we definitely know what to do. Uh, it's a fight against Russians and uh, a fight for European values. Uh, in different spheres, not only on the uh, battlefield, but also in a cultural sphere, in a sphere of uh, fighting against propaganda and information, many things uh, that we were talking about. So, Alexander, thank you for that. You know our hearts are with you, and I hope we speak again soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. Nadine, uh, you work with Boris. He was incredibly involved um, with the war in Ukraine, supporting um, Ukraine. Uh, lead us through where that, where that support came from, because he, 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 he did, in fact, really... He really did lead, lead so Europe he on did. that. And, you know, there were many big calls that Boris got right. And, you know, you've mentioned... We've mentioned some of them earlier. But Ukraine, the advice Boris was given by Mand Whitehall Mandarins and everyone was do not get involved. But he was the... He took what was a very difficult decision to be the first Western country to provide lethal aid to Ukraine and to arm Ukraine and to train Ukraine's soldiers. And I truly believe, and many truly believe, and Ben Wallace, the reason why he supports Boris as much as he does, is because Boris stood up for Ukraine when everyone else in the rest of the world was saying, don't, it's mm. too soon, it's too early. Mm. And I truly believe that if Boris didn't do what he did, Ukraine would now be annexed by Russia and Putin. It was that early help that they got from the UK, despite the advice, despite the pressure on Boris not to do it. It was that early help they got, which has helped do, do Alexander you, can, to be able to Can talk I just to ask today. you one quick question? Do you think if Rishi Sunak offered Boris in the next few months a sort of Ukraine envoy job, would he take it? Because he is passionate about it and he is a very good communicator on that topic. And he's, you know, he's an expert, you know, Biden said to him in their first call, in their first um, G7 call about Ukraine, over to you, bud, you know, you lead the conversation. But do you think you'll take it? Would bowed you... to his knowledge. He has incredible knowledge of, of not just the region, but, but of he, world affairs. Would he take it? If, I, if he was offered a role, do you think he would take I it? I haven't asked him, but, you know, I will ask him that question because I don't know. I've, I think he's got a lot to do, a huge amount of offers coming in at the moment, so I'm not sure. Next tonight is Nothing Sacred. Is it right to turn British tragedy into a glossy entertainment? Well, we'll be discussing season five of The Crown next. Now, the upcoming series of The Crown has come under intense criticism due to its portrayal of the royal family. Dame Judi Dench has called for a disclaimer to be added to the show for the sake of a family and a nation so recently bereaved. And former Prime Minister John Major has dismissed the series as a barrel load of malicious nonsense. In light of the events of the last 12 months, perhaps I have more to reflect on than most. How 
of royal scandals damaged the country's reputation. I won't go quietly. I'll battle till the end. How did it come to this? Still with us in the studio is a Times political sketch writer, Quentin Letts, and a warm welcome to historical novelist, I'm a fangirl, Philippa Gregory. Quentin, do you think it's a bit soon after the death of Her Majesty for Netflix to be screening something as sensitive as this? Uh, basically, Nadine, I'm a live and let live person and I also dislike any sort of constraint on freedom of speech. Uh, but that shouldn't stop us saying that um, this is the behaviour of uh, malicious scavengers uh, and that Netflix, or at least the, the Crown people, are behaving like, um, like vultures. But they are, we should see them not as vultures, perhaps. We should see them as, as ticks or fleas on the hide of a magnificent leviathan, uh, a great sleek bear that is the royal family or is the, that is monarchy. And so, you know, they're, they're a small uh, TV outfit. Who watches Netflix? And um, uh, I think, you know, just let them have their bit of... Uh, my, their little minor bit of uh, drama. But what and, about... and it is a drama. It is a drama. So... Yeah, but what about the boys? No, Prince William said that... Well, that's where you that get into... That day was the hardest day of his life. This is and... where you get into what a former... Um, There's a man called Lord McGregor who was in charge of press complaints, and he talked once about dabbling in people's souls. And this is where you get into slightly difficult waters, because, yes, this is a fiction, and, you know, fiction has uh, a very important part to play in our lives and in our art and our culture. But at the same time, it's fiction based on drama, and it's so recent that that's where you start treading into these slightly sort of... Uh, but what about a disclaimer, Quentin? You know, This England with Kenneth Branagh had a disclaimer on the front. That said, at the beginning of every episode, this is fiction. Well, does that... I mean, They're only to going be... to put it on the trailer, not on the actual programme, on the episodes. Do you not think... Why would they put it on the trailer? Why wouldn't they put it on the episodes that air? Well, I think you probably have to be a bit stupid if you don't understand The Crown is based... Uh, but people is, don't, is, 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 That's is a fiction. People well, don't. don't. They, they think it's a documentary. I don't know. Perhaps they should also have a disclaimer saying that, we, you know, we, Netflix, employ Prince Harry. So how could he possibly be upset about this? Ah, uh, you know... <laughs> Good tricky point. Well, they don't actually employ him, do they? Well, they give him loot. Well, he's made... They're making a documentary. <laughs> Quite a lot of They're it, not actually yeah. employing them. But do you not think they Spondulics should... Spondulics are involved in the making of that programme. But there is, there is a build-up of pressure for Netflix to put well, a disclaimer on the front. Do you think they should bow to that pressure? Uh, will they bow to pressure for, from Sir John Major? I think they might, possibly might, might ignore him. Um, but they have, uh, they have put it on the trailer already, so we could see, we could see movements. I, 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 I think, I think this, is a, this is a hoo-ha, and, and we enjoy getting upset about it. And it is a bit unseemly. It's unsporting, it's unkind, but it's... It's well, Philip, what fiction, about you? Fiction can be unkind. And, fi and yeah, Philip, I've read all your novels. So, um, do you think that it's wrong that the royal family don't? I mean, you wrote about an amazing novel about Elizabeth I, but this, the royal family today—they don't have a right of reply. It's not a historical documentary. It's very much involving members of the royal family are alive today. Do you think it's wrong that they don't have the right to reply? Of course, they have the right to reply. They just have to speak up. Nobody's stopping them speaking out. When they want to speak out, they do. When they want to sue people, they do. They have every right to reply. But this isn't a factual account that they can sue for libel over, though I would imagine that, depending on how close Netflix gets the wind, there might be things that would look apparently so do you think libelous. That it's but close... nobody thinks it's real. 
I mean, if you show me one person who thinks this is history, then we'll have a completely different discussion. Because I, I what we're doing, we're do. setting up... I think this is how a lot of people do view the royal family. One person. I mean, and I think that's a credit to the writers and well, the director, everybody actually. Everybody complaining about so the fact real. that it doesn't carry a disclaimer. Do you the think people it's too close to the truth? Is it close to the bone? The people who complain about the fact that it doesn't have a disclaimer are the people who don't want the story told in the way that the journalists, that the dramatists are telling it. It's not that they're complaining that it's about real people. It's that they're complaining that they think other people, not their intelligent, literate, well-read selves, are getting the wrong end of the stick. And this is just a usual thing about stupid people out there are doing stupid things and I should set them right. So, Philippa, is it close to the bone? Do you think it's closer to the truth than perhaps those who people who are complaining don't realise? Well, since the Freedom of Information Act doesn't cover the royal palaces, there's no historian that can check it out. The fact-checking that's but done it's is... But private lives. How can it they're... be checked out? Because they're monarchs, because they're royal... But they're they still don't... private people. Their individuals have a right to privacy and to not have their private lives televised or made into factional documentaries which veer very far from the truth. Nobody has that right. I no, think we all have that right. But can we really we? argue well, well, that about the royal what family, basis? Nadine? I mean, I mean, you know, we're talking about some of the yes, most you famous can argue people, about their famous people in the world. And, and what we're arguing now is whether it is a painful thing for the two brothers who lost, who lost their mother. But that is 25 years well, ago. Well, Emily, you, ha you have they edited... They don't have to watch it if they don't want to. You have edited a big newspaper. And you know that there are... It's not necessarily written down in law sometimes, what, what, what one can write about. It's to do with... Uh, what, where the acceptable bounds are on the sport of it. And Netflix do... They trade in... They trade in a slightly dodgy way on this in that they try to do present this by making it so... such a facsimile of... and making the characters so lifelike, making them all sound like the real members of the royal family. They are trading on, on slightly half-truths there. And the real truth in this... The truth, the truth is not to do with who said what, when and where. It's to do with uh, aspects of character. And I think that the great truths in life are based on character, and we know what the character of the Queen was, we know what the character of King Charles is, and I think that the public will see through that, and the, the audiences will establish a truth of their own. I mean, I, I, my actual personal opinion is the Crown has done an enormous lot of good for the royal family, including King Charles, actually, because I think the portrayal of him as a young man was very sympathetic. And we saw elements of him that maybe made us think when he feels a bit wooden or when we saw him at his accession, there was a moment when he got a little bit angry and a bit testy. There's that childhood scene when he sent off to Gordon Stern and his mother turning away from him. I think it made us realise what some of the sort of pressure of growing up in that, in that family was. So maybe the argument is the royal family can't, can't have it both ways. And it's ways. good for the royal firm in, in America as well. Quentin and Philippa, thank you so much. Two supporters of Just Stop Oil have covered Madame Tussauds' waxwork model of King Charles III with chocolate cake today. The climate activists are demanding the government halts all new oil and gas licences and consents. Nadine, what do you make of this? Well, the Tarquins and the others were in Central Lobby in Westminster today up to similar antics. You know, it's, it's an indulgence. You know, we've been saying for a long time, we have to stop this. They disrupt everybody's lives. They stop ambulances getting to hospitals. They stop people getting to work. They stop children getting to school. They, they deface statues and, and monuments. They it just has to stop. It's totally what is, unacceptable. What is your solution to climate change, then? 
Oh, well, COP26 was the most successful COP conference there has been held ever in the UK. I think there are plenty and of the, better the objectives solutions for 2025, the next year, are excellent. And are you continuing with the <laughs> COP26 resolutions? Yes, as well. I think it's well, all well, a PR, it's a PR put up by, by Madame Tussauds. They've always had a brilliant PR effort. <laughs> there they are, dressed up as just well, the stopper. Well, I, I think I, I'm not... We've oh, got just off oil here? on the programme yeah. tomorrow, so they'll be able to come and defend their actions to us directly and to you. That's it from us, but we'll be back again tomorrow at 8pm. Whatever you're up to, make sure it's uncensored. Good night. And good night from me. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.